Dear Workers, and welcome to the Third Age Babylon 5 podcast. Today we are going to discuss the episode TKO, but before we start with that, we will do our little introduction round, to where today we will answer the question what our favorite fictional pet would be. Who wants to start? Well, I can start, and I'm having a hard time deciding, but I think I'm going for the more obscure reference. I would love to have a Buchling, which is a little tiny, like, Cyclops creature that picks one author in all the world and then just recites all of his works. And I don't know which author I would want it to be. It would be nice to be a surprise, but just this little ugly little gremlin that don't, knows not about literature would be very fun to have. Ooh, I totally agree on that. That sounds really awesome. But on the other hand, if you have something random, I mean, the worst can happen that it's an author or that you don't like or who cares to cite. Um, yeah, it's like a little BDS gremlin for Fifty Shades of Grey. It's it's it's, yeah, a, diff it's a problem. It's funny to have in your daily life. It, it would be. But maybe, I mean, I think Walter Merce has been translated in a lot of languages. You can tell where you get it, where you get it from, right? Yeah, I mean, they're from the pretty big Buchheim series, which I don't know what the, what the English title is, but uh, we can put like a picture of it here and you can, you can get like a beautiful illustration. Good. And you, Micah? Well, yeah, the deciding is really the hardest part on this question because there are so many awesome creatures in, in books, in uh, movies, series, everything. So I, I would prefer to have a zoo. Um, but if I have to decide on something that also would fit in right now, right now, I would go for a little blue sparkly bird that appeared in the 2008 movie adaption of A Journey to the Center of the Earth. Very nice. I have to admit that I at first didn't even think of uh, fictional creatures or magical creatures because I have a lot of pets on my list that I will never be able to keep. For example, my biggest dream when I was a bit younger was to have a panda bear because they are so cute. They're just so cute. I want to have it run around here in my house. And another option that is probably when you have a garden that's super unrealistic but still hard to keep track with is a raccoon. I just love raccoons. Just the way that they move, it's just... It's incredible. I want to have a raccoon. Um, but if I would have to pick a fictional thing, the first thing I thought of was the Niffler from, everyone knows it from the Fantastic Beasts movies, but it's also in the Harry Potter books. And I just always thought a Niffler is so super cute. But actually, I would go with a raccoon over that, definitely, if I had the choice. I mean, Niffler kind of is a magical raccoon, isn't it? It has like cute tiny heads and shiny things. <laughs> Yeah, but I think there was something written in the books about they can um, underdig a whole house. So I think the the creature is just as long, cute as it doesn't crash. You know? <laughs> that is true, but also counts for any real animal as well. So we we have to take our chances. Yeah, I don't know what a panda bear would do in my house, sir. Probably fall over and sleep. Honestly, out of all of them, it seems like the most chill out version probably you you're so nice i wanted to say fall down the stairs am yeah, i a bad it. person <laughs> 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 all right so the episode tko which we are going to discuss today i have to uh, say that under our last episode someone posted that this is going to be the test for the podcast because apparently it's an episode known to be very difficult to make sense of 
Um, so I'll start with the plot that uh, summarized, I uh, start to summarize the plot which I find easier to summarize, and that is that um, a rabbi arrives, that's right to pronounce it, okay, arrives at the station to speak to uh, Susan Ivanova over the death of her father, because after her father died, which we've seen a few episodes ago, she never showed up to earth, she never um, went to his funeral, to all the traditions involved. So the um, rabbi, who knows her very well, decides to, for the first time ever, step onto a spaceship and visit her, and uh, we see her um, being confronted with her past and with the opportunity to open up about her family and this death. The other plot that we see, which is probably the reason why we get this nice comment on YouTube, is that we have our former boxing champion from Earth, uh, Walker Smith, who arrives on the station and wants to uh, take part in the Mutai, a traditional um, uh, fighting tradition among some alien species where humans have not yet taken part in. And uh, it is a questionable step because this Mutai has a cultural significance for these uh, species and his motivation is a bit questionable and how well that uh, will go as uh, well put in question and in the LT rights history. That's a good summary, right? It's a pretty decent one. So, which one do we want to start with? Yeah, let's let's start with your first impressions, as always, on, on Mike's part, who's already munching away trying to escape from this horrible fate. Um, yeah, maybe just overall, what don't you think of this one? And did it immediately feel like this massive test of, of your confidence with the show? Um, actually, no. Uh, so I, uh, though I have to admit, um, I, I didn't saw the, the comment, uh, maybe I ju just looked at the wrong time. I'm sorry. Um, well, my first impression, uh, it, it felt a bit more like of this killing part, but not, not in, in the sense of, uh, in the, in the bad sense of a filler episode, um, just to to construct more about the world the characters um and everything to give a bit of of a brother before something big will happen again uh, yeah that's that's how it felt to me i think that's that's pretty valid especially after last week's episode which kind of moved a lot of the main plot forward this is kind of the coming down from the from the big events and returning a little bit to everyday life on babylon 5 that's pretty much what it feels like to me as well and um i have to say i was very pleasantly surprised with this one i think i i kind of went into the general canon of babylon 5 fans judging this as one of the least sort of well-developed episodes and there are certainly points where i still think this is the case but overall i, I quite enjoyed my time with it and i think uh especially the the boxing plot was a lot more successful this time around than i remember it being yeah, I at first didn't even remember that episode, so I thought, what the hell is this? And then I have to admit that I had... <coughs> Sorry, I must have... Um, I didn't remember that episode at first, and I kept in memory both plots, but I would never have thought that they were together in one episode. <laughs> so I remembered another thing, I remembered the other thing, it was like, why are they together in one episode? I didn't keep it in mind that way, but yes... um. We can definitely talk about the boxing plot. Um, it wasn't as bad as I expected as well. And especially Imanova's plot, I find kind of sweet that has a lot of very nice details, I think. 
which one do we want to start with? Or which one, actually, what do you think, which one would be the more complicated? That's a very difficult question, actually. I have no idea what to expect. So, Michael, Bolton, you're on call. You, you get yeah. to decide. Take charge of this discussion. Yeah, yeah. Lazy bums. Um, yeah, well, it, it's it's a bit hard to, to uh, decide on, on which to start because, yeah, well, it's, it's not... If I feel not like there's one of the plots jumping out of the this episode, they're more on on the same level, I would say. Okay. Um, well, I since I wrote uh, the um, name Walker Smith first on my papers here uh, or my notes, let's start with with a boxing plot. <laughs> okay, I like that. Um, honestly, this is uh, the one that I was also most excited to hear from you about because I feel like it touches on a, one or two issues that you've raised before. So I'm I'm very curious to hear. Okay, I, I'm I'm not sure. We, we, to, I I get what you mean, but okay, we we will see. Um. Yeah, Walker Smith. Um, I was rather interesting for me to see that when uh, Walker Smith the friend of, of Garibaldi when they eat together um, and drinking is part of their conversation uh, and it seems to be like there's no problem with the alcohol for Garibaldi which points me back to the episode where we get to know that his uh, drinking problems were really heavy so um, yeah it kind of felt a bit sad to me because it felt ignored in some way i mean they talk about it but you don't see you don't have a feeling that it's a problem for him and i would kind of expect a problem for him to be there especially the the episode isn't that long uh, ago where he had um where he turned back to drinking okay that's that's really interesting i mean it definitely sticks out that there is this callback. Uh, he's specifically not drinking any alcohol, of course. He's, he's only taking water. Um, I'm very interested in how how would one depict this struggle, though? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not sure if 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 it's manageable to to bring this in in a non annoying way, because you could if you open with it every time. Uh, it's oh yeah again the topic don't bother me with it on the other hand yeah well maybe you could just put them somewhere else i don't know i mean it's interesting because i i didn't really think about this so much but in retrospect i feel like it could have been interesting to address this slightly differently in the conversation they are having and maybe we'll come back to that. Uh, make, let, let's start talking about uh, Walker Smith in general first, uh, because I'm very curious, how does he feel to both of you yeah. as kind of one of the protagonists of the episode? Because I've always uh, had this problem, and it's, I think, the main problem for this boxing plot for me is that I, I don't like this guy. <laughs> I don't really see any connection between him and Garibaldi per se. Like, of course, they've served together and all kinds of people do that. And so it's not unbelievable to me that these two would know each other. But 
I don't think they have any particular chemistry. They don't seem like the kind of guys that would hang out a lot. And yeah, Walker Smith is just kind of this guy. Even the name to me sounds like the most generic human name possible that you come up with. So when he says, I am Walker Smith from Earth, then to me, yeah, this is kind of the commonplace asshole that probably voted Santiago into office because he has like these extremely casual snakehead slurs for generalized I don't like aliens. He doesn't really understand or give a damn about the alien culture that he's kind of messing with and there is really no point in this episode where he really learns anything about this. He gets his head bashed in quite hard and after that he's friendlier but that doesn't count as character development for me. So um, I would have liked to have seen some kind of tension between him and Garibaldi. Kind of this idea that Garibaldi has moved on with his life. And this is where it for me comes back to this conversation about alcohol. It could have been interesting to see Walker Smith maybe push alcohol a little bit more onto Garibaldi. Like, ah, oh, you're all my old drinking buddy. Why don't you, like, why are you sticking with water and stuff? And maybe see a little bit more of a reaction from Garibaldi to that. Because I feel this could be this opportunity to kind of bring the struggle of alcoholism back into this conversation in a very natural way. And for me, it would have been nicer to see some tension between Garibaldi and Walker Smith because Walker Smith to me isn't a likable character at all. And so it's kind of weird for me to see him buddy-buddy with Garibaldi all the time. And I mean, even at the point where you have this this energy of, of pushing each other a bit, it's get it gets resolved so quickly and in such a yeah boring manner it's like oh sorry okay and yeah. that's it that's it that's basically what what's happening it's it's kind of a single ah i overreacted in the moment a little bit sorry for that and not really addressing that there might be some underlying issues that are there which i would hope there are because this attitude that walker smith has towards aliens is not something that Garibaldi necessarily should have. Otherwise, I would be very concerned about his position on the station. I mean, he represents his racism directly. I mean, he's several times calling aliens snakeheads. And when he enters this this training ground from the Mutai, um, he calls the, the very first alien person um, E.T. I mean, this is, yeah, disregarding in, in so many ways yeah, nothing to add there. So what do we make of the ending? Do we think that he actually learned something and now respect the Mutai? Or what do you think? No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, he, he adopted this this way of, of handling things. But I mean, I mean, this 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 greeting they are they are doing. But on the other hand, it doesn't really difference. I don't see much of a difference there to the greeting of different kind of, of um, sport types. I mean, if you're if you're a fencer, you take um, your weapon and greet with it in front of your face and then push it to the side. Um, if you're doing like, I don't know if it's karate where you bow or, or judo or anything like this. I mean, this is just adopting the, the style of this yeah, sports type, you could say. And I think this kind of comes down to this fundamental tension that we have throughout the plot, which is something that I think is actually quite interesting. And one of the issues that I think, Michael, you already talked about, 
we have this boxer from Earth who feels cheated and there was some foul play in his past and so he can't participate in the sport at home anymore. I feel bad for him, that sucks, that's very bad, but his solution to this is I'm going to make history, I'm going to go to the Motai and he treats this basically as just another sports event that he can participate and this will advance his career and this is what he wants and this is by the end also all that he achieves, right? This is kind of uh, what, what we see in the end. And this is a problem because the Mutai is very clearly portrayed on the station as something much more than that. It's portrayed as this big sort of spiritual, cultural practice that a lot of alien cultures have that must be fairly old, has been around for, for a long time. It is seen as something different from that. And he never really resolves this tension properly as, as far as I see it in this episode. It also seems to have something to do with respect and presentation of different cultures. The different combatants are considered to be the, I, I'm not sure, was it the best or the bravest or something like that of their people. Uh, and therefore, yeah, I, I do understand also why the um, all participants are like, no, we don't want humans to have participation in this a cultural thing because you are so brash everywhere else we want to keep this yeah like for ourselves and in in one piece and not shattered like everything we see uh, on on different worlds uh, where especially walker smith appears rather arrogant and aloof i mean he says something like i think it was another battle he won and that it was referred to uh, to like World War Four or something. I mean, it's it's interesting because on the other hand, we get the information. Okay, there must have been World War Three sometime in in the history. But how, who? I mean, what kind of person do you have to be to recite? I, I mean, I would say this was something a journalist wrote or something, and or or fans maybe chanted or or something like that but how what kind of person are you to to reciprocate that i mean it's it's kind of this thing where in this moment i think walker smith embodies exactly what the aliens of the mutai accuse humanity of humanity has its own culture and you know boxing wrestling that kind of stuff is there and of course there is like this hyperbole uh, like language that is associated with the fights there and, and he's kind of like ah yeah well, for marketing reasons one of my fights was like marketed as World War 4 so of course they call it the sands of blood and he kind of it, it puts a, an equivalency there that is for us kind of odd uh, because one is like this hyper commercialized sports culture and the other one is what we presume to be something more serious um, but yeah, this this touches exactly on the uh, on the point that uh, you mentioned fairly early on in the show, Mike, where there is this tendency in science fiction for humanity to be the protagonist of the galaxy. And, you know, Babylon 5 is special because humanity has this special ability to build communities and everybody comes together. And for the very first time in history, humans and aliens and everybody speaks to each other in a very diplomatic way and this is so special because we are humans and we are trying to build a federation which you know is a problem in a lot of science fiction definitely and in this episode it feels like the first time aliens in babylon 5 
see that and they're just as annoyed with it because they're sitting here and saying, no, no, our cultures have been interacting forever for hundreds of years. We have an entire like fighting sport in between species that exists for a very long time that has probably been used to resolve differences and stuff like that. Humans just don't recognize that and stand here and say, no, we are the special ones. And this kind of causes this uh, adverse reaction from them saying, no, humans aren't the center of attention for everything. Not everything needs to be integrated into humanity, especially not our, like, ancient historical fighting ring doesn't need to be part of your sports career back home. Like, that is just not what it's there for. And this, for me... Uh, kind of immediately paints also the sympathies very clearly because I, I look at, you know, various human cultures that exist so, sort of on their own and then interact with the larger world and get immediately absorbed into, like, the larger canon of everything and there's often a very similar dynamic there. I was a bit sad, though, to see that the the appearance in this, in this Mutai was rather boring. I would have wanted something, yeah, more alien. I mean, this what they're wearing, it's basically what I would see with with most fighters or fighting sports. I mean, not, not boxing or something like that, but karate, judo. I'm, I'm not sure how it's called, but uh, yeah. Basically, it's it's the cut of this clothing just in, in blue and that's it. And yeah, that's boring for me because it's just a bit of change of, of something that is, yeah, rather, rather iconic, I would say. And it's, um, sorry, just want to add this, uh, in, especially in, in combination with this uh, Mutai champion who has this, this black hair in, in a bun, which reminds me so hard um, on some, some, Chinese historical hairstyle, um, maybe Japanese, but I would go rather for for Chinese. Um, maybe I'm I'm just just influenced there in in some direction. But this this overall image just expresses this kind of kind of style, and that's sad. I think. I mean, you speak here to to I think one of the most cited weak points of this episode. One side is that. Production values are still limited, especially in the first season. So we hear about the Mutai being this like massive interspecies thing that is like an age-old tradition and such. And in practice, it looks like 12 people in like a cargo area on board the station. That is kind of a shame. But, you know, it's production values. So sure, let's, let's gloss over that. The other thing is very legitimately uh, this fact that the show wants to portray, ah, an exotic alien fighting ring. Let's go to the local, like, dojo and get a bunch of costumes from there because, you know, Asians are exotic and that, sure, like, let's let's do that. It's the 90s. We, we can do that very easily. A and there is definitely something to that also, especially in the way the mutador is uh, portrayed as, you know, basically your stereotypical old sensei that teaches you a lesson and has kind of also the accent going on and stuff so yeah there is definitely some very strong coding here which is maybe a little bit dated by now that being said uh, the one silver lining that i see in this is that we don't get this typical story of 
local American goes to exotic culture and absolutely masters it from the get-go and turns out to be the chosen one. No, Walker Smith wants to be part of the Mutai and very barely he manages to get a draw out of this, but it's not like he comes in there and starts kicking the ass of the old sensei or uh, immediately starts uh, subverting the champion or anything like that. No, no, the, the, the thing that he achieves is he got to participate and that's good enough. So I feel like at least there the show kind of shows restraint when it comes to the worst tropes in this kind of story. Yeah, though I have to say, I would have liked it more if he would have lost. I mean, even you can appreciate the the effort somewhat put in, even though it's not a win. It's even it's not a success in the way of yeah of of why you're participating in something like that. But I would have liked this more because this would have gone together with maybe a bit of uh, what is it called um uh demut oh that's a very good question with a bit of humility yeah humility that was the word i was searching for because that would have been the con or the hopeful consequences of this loose uh, loss to to um yeah walker this could have helped him to change, to see, okay, I'm not the awesome whatever person who just beats everyone. I mean, it's okay. It's a good start that it's a draw and not a win for him, but it, I would have preferred a loss on his side because, yeah, his his character is awful. I think you, Leila, mentioned the resolution of this episode, and I think a loss here would have really changed the dynamic there as well because then... Walker doesn't get to go home and continue his career on the high of having almost won the Mutai, then his big success would really have been, hey, I participated, I showed I, I showed people that we can fight, and now humans can participate in the Mutai. I opened the door for somebody else to maybe win it one day. And that immediately would have pushed him in a very different direction and sort of, yeah, taught him some humility in that regard. That would have been very interesting. Though, of course, with his draw, he goes more in the direction of the name of the title. TKO, like a knockout, is one way of winning. And yeah, th I think this is more prone for people to, to associate this with with a win. Yeah. Though I would, I would say, um, yeah, a loss would have been a win too. If the outcome, if with the with the mutual respect, with um, the situation of humans are allowed to participate in the mutai, would be uh, also more of a win because, yeah, he Walker would have been in the situation of um, to reflect his actions, his behavior, his personality he's showing there. And on a larger scale, this would have also resolved the whole cultural exchange portion of this plot a little bit more neatly because then we could have really shown letting humans participate in the Mutai doesn't need to corrupt it because humans can't go in and just make it their own. Humans can go in and they will have a hard time. There will be a tiny part of this ancient tradition that just keeps going on like it always did. And that could have been a very interesting way to sort of resolve also this tension of Ah, now that Walker Smith has opened the door, 
does this mean the Mutai is going to become humanized now in some way? It would have shown very clearly, no, no, hu humans get to play ball now, but that's all of it. It's still not their thing. And I, I think that would have been a better resolution because the way it's handled in the episode now, we get this alien that voices a very, you know, sensible concern and then is painted as the absolute villain by trying to manipulate the fight. And that's kind of where that ends. And that's always a little bit of a shame when you have somebody like raise an interesting criticism, but then the episode kind of paints it in such an antagonistic night that you kind of just let it fall by the wayside. Anything else that comes to your mind, maybe? No, you've made very good points. So I, I take it the, the boxing part is not your favorite side of the episode. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't even notice that I was silent all this time. Um, no, I don't know. Um, I mean, it's perfectly fine. We don't need to beat this dead horse more than it uh, than it has already been. Well, I have two points, to, little points, uh, just little remarks of this plot because I thought they were really cute on, on one hand um, when uh, they're watching the Mutai uh, Walker and, and Garibaldi and he gets Walker gets offered something to eat mm. uh, first the, the look to Garibaldi can I eat this? Is this okay to take it? Uh, and then he bits in it mm, this is good what is it? And when he hears that it's, um, wait I, I wrote it down uh, a fried tree rom he drops it. And I was like, yeah, no development there. Yeah, once this is like the perfect embodiment for, of his character of being like, dude, you like it. It's edible. Just get over yourself that it's a worm. Oh my God. Yeah, that is uh, this good food. I'm very sad that it got wasted. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's it, most of the time in series fo uh, foods get uh, gets wasted. I mean, you can have the most beautiful buffet, but then something happens and no one even touched it most of the time. Uh, so, yeah. But the other point um, I found really cute is um, I liked it when um, the the trainer, Caliban, um, or when, when, when Walker and Garibaldi put their, their hands over each other. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, this, this, it's some kind of sports thing. It's not familiar to me because I, I mean I've seen it in video in in, in movies and everything, but um, yeah, I, I've done just solo sports. Yeah, I don't like people. I admit. Um, and well, Caliban sees Garibaldi and Walker doing this, and you see in his reaction, he doesn't really get it, but he feels like okay, this is some some human thing, some some encouraging thing, and then he puts his hand on yes. those two hands as well and I was sitting here like oh my gosh I love this guy he, he is such a background character but I really liked his portrayal and this little tidbit just to make this more wholesome I liked it really much it's great that you mentioned that because honestly Caliban might be one of my favorite characters introduced in season one after especially this last rewatch because he has multiple of these moments first of all I love the fact that this guy from the first appearance in a dark alleyway throughout the entire episodes, he looks and feels so much like he should be a villain. He is so shady. He's just hanging out like behind everybody's back, approaching Walker Smith. And 
He just tells him about the legitimate way to participate. He just wants this guy to succeed. And why? Because he tried himself and failed, so now he's a mentor for other people. It's the most wholesome guy, but you look at him and his makeup and everything about him looks like he should be a villain of the episode. And even though I know the episode the entire way through, I wait for him to betray everybody. But he doesn't. He's just there to have fun. It's really great. And exactly like the little team-building hand thing that he does, he asks Garibaldi at some point, what is a mule? And Garibaldi answers, you're training one right now. And obviously this guy does not know what a mule is, never learns what a mule is, but he just adopts this into his vocabulary. And in the fight he starts chanting, it's the mule, it's the mule. And it's so, it's so cute and wholesome, but at the same time also a really cool example of how a place like Babylon 5 functions. Because obviously you can't have aliens constantly explaining to each other what things are and what references they are making. So it functions by people just kind of shrugging and going along with it, whether it makes sense or not. And it's, it's good enough to understand what's going on. It's just a really cool portrayal of this guy that, yeah, I, I can see him being the, the new, like, more main contact for any human that wants to participate in the Mutai, and he gets, like, super rich doing that. It's my headcanon for this character because he deserves it. Maybe also um, Caliban is the reason Walker Smith is so unlikable because this character seems to, yeah, he, he ha seems to have a personality and Walker Smith is just bold and arrogant and aloft and egoistic. Yeah. yeah. But on the other hand, there's nothing behind it, really. I mean, you have this this background story but it doesn't really it doesn't feel deep in any way so i get the strong feeling the reason his career got ended back on earth is just because he had no charisma whatsoever so the studio just needed to get rid of him to make room for somebody more likable i feel like there were good reasons behind that but uh, no it's definitely indirect contrast between these two it's so easy to root for caliban and so hard to root for walker smith what do we say about the fact that it was just like one or two seconds of the episode but there definitely was an alien who was not happy about Walker Smith being in the fight and tried to manipulate the fight or attack Walker Smith. I mean, what do we say about that? Because we've just constantly talked about how unlikable Walker Smith is and about the comments he makes on aliens, but I feel like this episode tries to tell us that these voices that are skeptical of anything strange and that cling to their traditions and don't want to see change and don't want to see progress. Basically that you can find that on on, it, on every side of it. And that's like, like just to accept that you have these voices when you have people, when you have na nations, when you have a population. And I don't know what to, what to, what to make of that. I mean, the most important thing is Caliban saves the day. He sees that something is going on and warns Garibaldi and gives Garibaldi the most adorable thumbs up when he punches the guy. So it's this is my takeaway from that entire scene. Yeah, well, uh, on one hand, I have to say, I totally understand this guy. I wanted to shoot Walker too. <laughs> um, on, the, on the other hand, um, well, it just shows how much they don't want him to be there. Um, and, and I think that's important because otherwise just with a few word, words exchanged after um, Smith um, 
challenges the the winner the champion wouldn't have worked that would have felt too low because that you could have shrugged it off with ah that's just one or two people that, who have a problem there mm. so it, it's it's more intense and and the the intention um, just feels stronger there and also i think the whole thing kind of it, it gives a bit of this this feeling what sport is supposed to do to get bring the people together and to show equally respect towards each other i mean this is totally totally utopian and everything but I, it kind of feels like this was some way the message there and i mean for for all the talk of how unlikable walker smith is the one thing i will give this character is that it really shines through in this episode this guy understands everything once he's in the ring once he's in the fight he's respectful to the aliens and everything like he doesn't start hurling insults or anything like that like this mutual respect they he gains with the champion of the mutai feels absolutely genuine and i think this is out of everything, maybe the only thing that could also convince him to stop using racial slurs, slurs when talking about aliens, which doesn't make him much more likable to me. It's it's a shame that he has like such a narrow field of understanding, but it definitely shines through that you know this is the level on which he can connect with people, and once he gets that chance, he really does. Um, and so I'm on this level. I'm glad that he didn't get shot and poisoned and didn't die horribly in the ring. I guess it's fine that he gets to go home. Uh, on the other hand, it's also like a very nice, um, just illustration that no matter how sympathetic your cause is, and I really want to sympathize with this alien, once you start uh, resorting to these dirty methods, it just paints a massive target on whatever cause you're behind. It doesn't help it at all. What I was just thinking of when I when I saw that was that, um, to me this whole plot, this whole boxing plot, feels like the most Star Trek like plot. Mm. It's a plot that I would expect in nineties Star Trek and uh, like um, maybe the second half of Next Generation or um, Deep Space Nine, <clears throat> and because here we see just. We see the alien side and we see the human side and we have so many characters that are probably unlikable because they completely act as the stereotypical human from his own from their own era or the stereotypical alien that's like no we can't have a change we can't have a human in the ring and the human like um wants to come wants to join the mutai for their own understanding and there's like a little communication like we don't have characters there <clears throat> who really think out of their own box basically so this is like a like a yeah a very strong strong star trek feeling there and i feel like the big quality of babylon 5 is that we have more dynamic characters that we have characters that um don't just act as a symbol for the culture that they represent or as a symbol for their species or nation or whatever, but really <clears throat> act as thinking sentient beings, um, which is something that develops between uh, Garibaldi and this other guy. Caliban? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> there it starts, but yeah. So therefore, from that plot, I get a lot of um, Star Trek vibes. Let's call it the the, uh, uh, the holodeck ceiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Total bait. Yeah, totally. 
I mean, if we are drawing parallels to to Star Trek, um, if we are drawing parallels to Star Trek, this episode calls to mind for me a single quote from Deep Space Nine, where I don't know if we ever got to that episode where Quark, the alien bartender, talks to a Klingon, I believe. I I think he talks to Worf there about root beer, which he started selling at his bar as a drink for the humans. And he talks about how the Federation, how humanity is like root beer. It's way too sweet. It's actually very disgusting. Nobody wants it. Nobody likes it. But it keeps popping up everywhere. And the worst part is, after a little while, you get used to it. And then you actually start drinking it. And I feel like this is pretty much the sentiment that aliens in the Mutai have towards humanity as well. It just keeps popping up everywhere. And somehow it just sticks, and that's disgusting, and we want to get rid of it. We want to have one bar that doesn't sell root beer to anyone. <laughs> and I, I feel like that's that's kind of where we land here. And yeah, the different approaches to the sentiment that the two shows take is, is as always, just interesting to see. Yeah, but here is not so strong in this plot. No. Because also I, I feel like um, Walker Smith uh, now has a respect for aliens from this one experience that he had with them, that he was in the ring with them and uh, wrote history and he would always uh, face them again as a fair fighter but I don't think he understood anything. No, I think he like in, inadvertently took home a positive message and he will have absolutely no ability to convey that to anybody else. So humanity as a whole was not helped by this interaction at all. Um, I mean, the, the fact alone that this historical event is broadcast on, on, on the sports news channel is kind of, you know, kind of a shame. Um, but maybe this can build a good bridge to the second half of the episode that we want to talk about because Walker Smith is one stereotypical human that probably for the first time has left Earth. And, you know, he's a stereotypical, I don't care about them aliens, I care about my sports career and I want to make money and be rich and don't deal with the snakeheads in this world. Um, and the other human that we see is uh, is our rabbi, who also for the first time has left Earth, but for very different reasons and for very different reasons also has a completely different approach to the aliens that he encounters in this episode and all the different things uh, on Babylon 5. So maybe let's start talking about this and uh, what we learn about him, what we learn about Ivanovar and humanity as a whole, because I think that shines a much more positive light on everything. Well, maybe we should start with the with Ivanovar's uh, scene, because I, I couldn't stop myself. I paused uh, the video just to look more clearly to th at the book she was reading Working Without a Net by Harlan Ellison mm -hmm. whatever the book is about she's laughing I, I don't know how you could in this with with a title like that but okay <laughs> it's it's probably a Russian thing how she's reading it I don't know uh, but I really like this this beginning of this scene because re some really just mundane thing she's having free time and she's reading yes and not just some i don't know if if we go back to to star trek uh, then it would have been some some classic i don't know practicing maybe. the violin and playing chess on the side because we are high-end cultured people now <laughs> uh, or or like i don't know some some classical books like i don't know reading some some um uh, things from Poe or 
some philosophs. I don't, yeah, that would be probably something you would find there. Or some so, weird acrobatics. Yeah, <laughs> her and like a jumper doing some fake sports that involves a lot of jumping. Yeah, so I really, I really like the the composition of this of this scene, but also how she then uh, is there really private with her open hair and giggling, and then the doorbell rings, and then she's like, takes a moment to become completely serious again. <laughs> yes, yes. But I think for the larger scheme of things, this is a very important scene also because it gives us this private moment with Ivanova, and gives us also the confirmation Ivanova is okay. And for everything that happens afterwards, I think this is important to keep in mind that she is in this moment fine. She is not in some massive like internal crisis that needs to be resolved. And when we start talking about how the rabbi approaches everything and how she deals with her grief, I think that's important to keep in mind that we are not talking about a person who like secretly in private is an absolute wreck that is in need of rescuing because that would paint everything else in the episode in a very different light. Yes. Um, I have a few things I would like to talk about. Some are more complicated. Some we will maybe have to cut out. <laughs> always a good start for things that we usually keep in. I mean, what I what I like about um, this family background is <laughs> is for once we see. Um, a Jewish family that is not a family that within the chaos of our times or our recent past immigrated to the United States and became rich and therefore kind of feeds a lot of other weird stereotypes and conspiracies. Nothing against them, but you know, that's kind of a plot you see a lot on TV and books. Um, we see the Russian side, which is, I mean, there is a big population and I think they are often completely overlooked. And I really like it that we see that in action, this culture, these uh, Jews that stayed, lived and stayed in Eastern Europe. I think that's just very, very nice. And we see it just in action as a functioning um, community and not as a walking tragedy. So I think these are very positive things about having the rabbi on the station and dealing with Ivanova's uh, story. Her family story is tragic, but for completely recent new reasons, I would say, that are belo that belong into our universe. I think those are very, very positive things. And maybe let's stick with these for a little bit. I will completely echo the family side of things. Apart from any cultural background they have, I'm so happy to see a character on TV who seems to have a functional support network in family circles. Like, her mother killed herself, uh, her father died tragically, her brother is dead, so there's a lot of drama in the immediate vicinity. But clearly they were part of a larger community that takes care of each other, that is actually interested, that jumps on the spaceships and comes to them when some, some tragedy like this strikes, which is a rarity to see in TV in general, especially in 90s TV, I feel. Like the idea that there's a family unit beyond the immediate nuclear family that functions, crazy to me. I'm super happy to see that. And maybe you, you already talked about it a, a little bit. Maybe we can talk just a tiny bit about what we learned from Yossel about Earth and about Russia in particular, because we will have to do a, a special episode on Earth history in Babylon 5. Um, Mikey, you already noticed there was World War III. And let me just say, 
Russia in the Babylon 5 universe has yet to deviate from the reality of Russia and our world up to this point. So when, when he says uh, Russia is Russia and if you could farm regret, it would be the breadbasket of the world. That rings like largely still true, I would presume, uh, looking at the world today. <clears throat> yes, I mean, also the statement that her father brought that we should not venture into space before we learn to live in peace on Earth. That sentiment also kind of is strong in that, like, um, yeah, that the past there is more of an open wound, which is nowadays when you travel towards East, uh, Eastern Europe, also more of a thing, I guess. I always feel like the, ma the more East I go, the more <clears throat> actively hurting the past still is, actually. Yeah, I mean, this is what you see when you compare, like, history museums in Berlin to history museums uh, over in Hungary and such. Like, oh, that's yeah. a very strong <laughs> contrast of how open the wound of the past currently is. Yes, something that <clears throat> in a history museum in Berlin looks completely funny, looks like the biggest psychotic nightmare in Hungary. So, yeah, anyway. Um, so that that is still a thing. 300 years from now? What is it, 250 years from now? Some, somewhere in the ballpark. Yeah. You have to continue. My voice just keeps, like... I mean... If we talk about uh, her father being this man of peace and not interested in space travel, I'm interested what you two think about this, but I'm actually, especially on this rewatch, very impressed how strong of a sense of Ivanova's father I actually got from this episode. Like, from the little bits and pieces, I feel like I have a very strong idea of what this man's ideals were, that he was very much almost like to the point of being a complete pacifist, that he was somebody who had very strong ideals, a very strong sense of, of duty towards his family and also very big issues in expressing them in, in ways that feel fairly realistic to me. And just for the portrayal of a character that has recently died but played a big role in Ivanova's life, I find that quite impressive how much I can kind of get a sense of who this guy was and how he would have shaped this character that I know and love. Well, I think especially this... this I mean, I tend to, to look at these things from the psychological side. And I would, I, you can totally feel how Ivanova gets to the point of her emotions where the, she is now and how she gets to, uh, how she, the way was, um, she, she, how she developed her, her feelings, well, how she acted, why she did so and how it happened. <laughs> to be that at the end she has a problem um, with forgiving her father for what he did in the past. So I was, I was really impressed from this portrayal because it's, yeah, if, if you, you could really, I think you could to a certain degree make a psychological analysis there. I think that rings very true. How about you? Ooh. Um, each time I watched that episode, I at first take her wish not to talk about things and her wish not to sit Shiva with uh, anyone because she just doesn't feel like it completely seriously because I think getting to the point where she is now can also mean that she just really does not want this and does not need this anymore. Um, so it's always a bit of a surprise that she actually does that in the end and also for herself and in the end, not just for, uh, because the rabbi took this very long journey to see her, but really also for herself. But I think it's it's now that it really shows that the character is written very complex and thought through very well, and, and it's not just one-dimensional. That's very, very nice. But what we could also talk about while we're at that is um, what we think about the actions the rabbi took 
on that station. Um, because I think I think there's also not easy to just find one answer. I think it's just definitely a completely uh, the conversation that he has alone with Sinclair is completely lovely. I completely love how it's written. I love that interaction. But I can also totally see why Susan is so mad at him. Like both sides there, I think, are completely valid. Absolutely. It's, it's something that I'm grappling with myself every time I watch this episode, because on the one hand, Ivanova's issue of other people coming up and telling her how she has to express her grief is something that rings true to, to my own experience a little bit. Uh, a little bit. So I'm always kind of on her side of being very annoyed at the drama at first sight uh, at that. But on the other hand, the way that she comes around feels natural enough that it's very much a, a change of mind that comes out of herself and is ultimately mostly informed by her interaction with her father rather than any of the meddling that that's going on. And I do like that the rabbi himself like says, hey, I meddle. That's my fault. And I will not stop doing it. It's just what I do. It's it's That for me makes it a lot more sympathetic because at least there's some not some righteous indignation about it. It's more uh, uh, fully open admittance. Yes, a little spoiler, maybe just a very, very little one. At some point, we will have to have a discussion about how, especially among humans, but not only among humans, but there, especially how these religious uh, leaders and figures are characterized throughout the show. And we'll have maybe in the end really to talk about a few of these um, examples because it's interesting, definitely the the um the view that the the writing puts on these people is um is interesting and helpful and also one that I completely never experienced myself although I grew up in a church basically <laughs> so and there will be a discussion for later and there also we will come back and it's just very 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 quickly it's all the more impressive because uh, the writer James also didn't experience that. And like, <laughs> he was part of a Christian cult at some point where things got really, really strange uh, up to like really weird behaviors in there. So the fact that this man came out of this and still could see the merit in, in any kind of organized faith is a miracle, among many other things. That church is also close to a cult. So yeah, I can identify. But yeah. Was was my church is not mine anymore. I'm not a member anymore. I want to make that clear at this point. But yeah, um, to get back to to the rabbi, um, it it doesn't necessarily feel like he's acting um all as a as a religious person. I mean, it's of 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 course it's it's part of of him of this action, but. Most of all, it feels like he's doing it um, some sort as a, I, I almost said father figure, but yeah, like like family person who just knows Ivanova really, really well and just wants to do her something good. And I think what here, at least uh, it feels to me like that, is that he has the feeling that Ivanova is not progressing or processing her emotions um her feelings and her father's death which is important to move on properly and he thinks that the that the, uh, to to what what i'm sorry what is it called sitting, sitting shiva um that it's something that would help her mm. and therefore he initiates it 
And the moment he realizes, okay, I, I made a made a mistake, and especially at that point, I have to um, add, I really love the the acting there, how he how he portrays uh, or he's portrayed in the moment where Ivanova runs out of the restaurant. Oh my gosh. I, I rewatched this scene again because I, I really, at this moment, really felt the emotions in this scene. And yeah, then he realizes, okay, I did something wrong and he stops pushing, which is also speaks volumes because he's not going further. He's not like, you have to do this, but okay, you know your feelings best. I was wrong. Process it in your own way. And yeah. I think this is, this is a, in general, praising this man's acting is, is very much warranted. He does a wonderful job with the role, both in this and also like, portraying the admiration of somebody that for the first time sees this, just the way he mentions to, to Sinclair that he has this great miracle here is absolutely great. And yeah, on the other side, this idea, Ivanova is surrounded by two uh, figures that are just being very supportive. Sinclair says essentially the same thing. I can't force you to do any uh, anything of this. Just be sure that you actually know what you're dealing with here. And that's, that's very good advice. And I think it's very interesting to kind of start tracing in these interactions that they always have, who at what point makes this about being a religious tradition and who is mostly concerned about it being a moment of personal healing. Because I think for the rabbi, everything is framed as something to help Ivanova. This is his main concern. And sitting Shiva as a tradition is just something that he believes helps her doing that. And every time we talk about it being a tradition, I feel like on this watch through, this is actually coming from Ivanova herself. When she says to him, I just need you to know I'm not, not participating in this tradition because I've stopped being a practicing Jew. I'm doing this for personal reasons and other things, but I still want to be part of this community. I recognize the importance of this as a tradition. And she wants to make this clear, which for me feels very much in line with her character also. Like the very few times she's openly mentioned God or religion in this way, it's always been from this very earnest place of somebody who isn't practicing very actively, but still feels it's an important part of their identity, which is also a very nuanced portrayal of religion that we don't often get to see. Yeah, usually you, you have more extreme situations and, and not necessarily like the extremist version, but like in, in the Christian way, going on to, to church on, on every Sunday. And if you can't, then, oh my gosh, yeah. the end of the world. Yeah. That's more likely the portrayal you tend to see. Yeah, I have to think of the discussion about this. Is it a fish that they have in the restaurant? Yes. Where he asks, is it, is it, it kosher? I guess he has no idea. <laughs> That's yeah. Just, yeah. Because, yeah, when you have this life... Um, so far out in the in the solar system on a space station or on other um, colonies or whatever, you are just confronted with so many new circumstances where, of course, all of these old traditions, you have to translate them into the situations and you can't always take them with you. And I think in Susan, we see a person who tries to take some things privately for her with herself, but also sees that um, a lot of things she cannot keep up because, yeah, then there's the food that she cannot translate into the old rules that she grew up with. And yeah. 
it would be super interesting to see like what's what is your approach in figuring out if an alien fish is kosher or not? Like, do you start going into the genetics of what is it actually related to and can you deal with this? But in practical terms, you know, like he says, well, it's not mentioned in the Torah. So I guess I'm just going to, yeah, and it's delicious fun, which is the absolute polar opposite to what uh, Walker Smith does with his tree worm ring. I think yeah. there's some very intentional parallels here, how they both deal with this. And yeah, I... I think, but I think it's simpler. I think you just look at how it lives and what the fish eats, and so there are simple rules for that. But also, they don't look it up in that moment. They just are like, <laughs> so that's cute. Yeah, but it's also a rather practical and pragmatic way of doing things. Yeah. Uh, he he. In in this moment, again, he prioritized Susan over, yeah, like what he's eating. And at that moment, I just have to. Add, I really liked seeing him how he. Ate with his chopstick, and at the end, <laughs> very good. Once again, also a very pragmatic way. I don't know if he if he ever used chopsticks before, and he's just kind of, you know what? I know how it is going to function. If it's going to be correct, is a different topic that we can discuss at a later time. Yeah, but yeah, I really, I really like this. And I mean, one of these practicalities that gets carried out uh, through the very end is, I think, a very, very sweet gesture uh, on Susan's part when they are actually like in the ceremony and uh, she decides to have this final prayer in English, even though traditionally it would be Hebrew, just because she wants Sinclair to be able to participate in that, which I think for me puts also a nice bow on their confrontation early in the episode where it's now really shown she does completely appreciate what he wanted to do and she wants him to be a part of this. And, uh, you know, it's it's always nice when we hear that people are good friends on the show and we see them interact nice in their work life. But this is one of these rare moments where I can really believe as a crew, they work well together. And then as private people, they are very close friends because this is such an important moment in her life that she chooses him to be a part of, which is just very nice to see. Yeah, it's just so nice that he joined, joins that, actually. Yeah. It's, so it's, I, was, you know. I was quite surprised how many people there was. I mean, okay, it was stated friends can, can join there, but yeah, that, because there were so many random people you've never seen before, it just felt strange at this moment for me. Personally, I believe this was just the magic power of the rabbi of finding, like, every practicing Jew on the station and bringing them together, which I think is, you know, if you want to illustrate the importance of a religious community like that, it's kind of this idea. Ivano probably doesn't have that many friends on the station. Like from what we know about her character and how she involved she is in her work, I don't see room for that at all. So it's more this idea. There are people that share this belief with me. And even if I don't know them personally, we can come together and in this understanding of this tradition find comfort. And I, I think this is also reflected here. Yeah, most of these people didn't know her father because they're probably not part of this family unit that she represents. Um, I was I was sad that Gary Baldy wasn't uh, able to participate because he was away with, I'm sorry, stupid boxing. Um, he was. On the other hand, I honestly don't know if he would. I have a sense, and maybe maybe this is from, from elsewhere or so, but I have a sense that when it comes to things like this, he might have a harder time. 
I don't know. Yeah. It's just my personal impression. The, this, this whole religious stuff, I don't think it's it's something for him, though I could see him doing this for Ivanova. That from, I, from the that I believe. energy they, they usually have. I think with, with Sinclair, to me, it just feels very na natural, down to the point that he he knows what sitting Shiva means before the audience gets ex gets it explained. So he strikes yeah. me as somebody who has just more uh, connection to this. But on the other hand, of course, on a personal level, I would expect that uh, Garibaldi is, is, is just as involved there. Uh, by the way, does uh, does any one of you know more about this? Um, uh, yeah. Thing or because the, it's the first time for me because yeah well all not... I know is that even for people in the U.S. who are like much more involved with actively practice Jewish culture and stuff around them because there's more there uh, it's still something that they learn about for the first time in this episode like it's... but that's weird because I know quite a bit about it just from this religious exchange things that I had at our church yeah see those were very special well. Apparently, I mean, I mean, it's just that opposite of fiercely was. I mean, it 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 originally, I think it was really meant to last several days, and this is something that is not done today anymore, of course. But it was really, it had this rules of just sitting together for I think seven days, so everyone, friends yes, and family, uh, gather and they bring food and everything, so that no one has to leave the house. You don't even change your clothes or shower in the real extreme cases, and just really mourn this seven days completely extreme together. And then you move on, which is, I think, it's a wonderful tradition. I think it's, it's it's beautiful because it really, I think it really shows that religion has this 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 um these little practices that should make things easier for you, that should take care of you in difficult times. And I think that's a very beautiful one. But I think there are a lot of different versions, of course. Nowadays, people just can't just sit at home yeah. for seven days, and yeah, that that's the original thing. Yes. Well, I I watched, looked it up, um, and yeah, that's it's the seven days of mourning, which I thought also really nice for for those people who who need it. And I mean, you are not alone. You can you can be alone if you want, but you don't have to, and everything. Um, what I was curious more about is how yeah how how um, the the portrayal is. In, in contrast to reality, because it kind of feels like me, for, for me, like they're just sitting there and talking to each other about Susan's father, which is, an, is, a, is a, nice thi a nice thing, but... Um... I could imagine if we see that as probably something how it is done today, most of the time pra for practical reasons. For time reasons, but I think if you have seven days, you do a lot of things in these seven days. You probably collect memories, but I think there are so many more um, opportunities. But I mean, we have we have listeners, our dear lurkers. Maybe one of you knows more about this and can help us out. That would be nice. Definitely, in general, like maybe we should make this our question: sort of, how do you feel about religious representation in Babylon Five in general? Because there is. Yes, but also tell us about this episode, because what I can add is, I, and I know one case where I've been told by someone I knew from our religious exchange circles, who once was invited to that, and it lasted a weekend, and wasn't as strict, of course, you could leave, you could shower and everything, but it lasted a weekend, and it was really sitting together and talking and eating, and it was super relaxed and not very organized. Like, that's a version I've heard of, I wasn't part of that, but that is something 
that I've seen from people that I know that maybe, yeah, maybe we have someone who can tell us more about that specifically in the comments. That would be cool. The one thing that I can say from the reception of Babylon 5 that I've seen up to this point, including people of the Jewish faith, is that if you are in the 90s and this episode comes on, it is very notable that, oh my God, there is a representation of Jewish faith here with an actual tradition that is not horribly warped or stereotyped. So it is a TV version of it. It might always be a little bit simplified, but it is true to life in a way that usual representation at this era, especially and even today, isn't. And for that, uh, JMS usually gets like a lot of credit for good reason, because that's what he does with most of the religious stuff that is in there. But tell us your opinion on it. would be interesting if you had one. <laughs> Which maybe we should add, you don't have to uh, need an opinion to everything. If you don't have one, that's perfectly fine too. No, complete. I mean, we we also only talk about the parts of episodes that we have opinions on like this. <laughs> there is stuff that we gloss over because... Uh, yeah, but I, I think nowadays sometimes it's it's something you have to say because, yeah, well... Yeah, uh, I mean, there's, there's always this pressure of Arin to participate in this discourse otherwise i'm horrible yeah well i don't know no such pressure here uh do you have anything more about um yeah the the rabbi or, or the the morning or ivanova in that case because i would like to add something uh, because of the her legacy i would like to just summarize and point out because i don't know if i have put that into one sentence in this discussion yet but I love the fact that the rabbi really waited maybe like one week or so and realized that Susan did not um, write back or show up. And then he must have immediately booked transport because it takes quite a while to get to Babylon 5. I think it takes several weeks. And her father died like a few months ago. So as soon as there was no reaction, he just took his first flight through space. And I just would like to emphasize that because I know. That's so cute. There is this moment where they have a conversation where he's like, oh, you haven't said Shiva yet? That's a surprise to me. And I feel like, no, it's it's really not. You knew <laughs> that she was not like healthily dealing with this the moment you got a ticket there. I don't believe you just came for the summer garbage. Also, I really like that they have this like family heirloom and that later on she drinks tea from it. It's, 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 it's nice. Something that dates back to Tsarist Russia. So it's been long for a very long time at this point. Um... Talking about uh, his journey there, uh, we, we mentioned before how some of the spaceships are named after... <coughs> and I died. Um, talking about his journey there, um, we mentioned before that some of the spaceships are named after science fiction authors and such. This one is now called the White Star, um, which isn't a science fiction author or, or, uh, per se. It might be a very bad omen, though, because if I remember correctly, the White Star line is the one that the Titanic was... Uh, was part of, like the company that it uh, shipped under. So uh, I hope he gets home safely because they don't have the biggest track record. Okay, that was that was dark. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so what did you want to add to her? Let's just see. Like, yeah, well, um, I I have to admit I had to uh, look up what a thermovar is. And I was like, oh my god, I want one too. We have one downstairs. 
we don't dare plugging it in because it's like from Eastern Germany and we feel like it will explode if we do. But in theory, it's a really cool thing. It's even better if you have one that is like wood fired, which Ivanovas would have to be if it's that old. But I don't know how that would work on a space station. So, yeah, so she, she well, you you said she drank from from it. How the hell did she do that? I don't know if it was from, but she drank like what looked like hot tea to me later on. So, I mean, maybe they have like a synthetic heating element or something like that. You can probably make it work. Yeah, you just need heat. You don't need fire. I mean, ours even has this like um, uh, connection cable that doesn't fit normal uh, sockets. Yeah, that doesn't even fit, so we can't plug it even in anymore. Yeah, yeah. It always feels like it's literally just you plug it into a socket and electricity just goes through a wire in the water, heats it up in the process and pulls <laughs> back out again. So wouldn't touch that, but uh, it's it's a cool thing. Yeah, who knows? Maybe that's the way uh, of becoming the next superhero. I'm not sure what your ability would be, but... Hot tea. Perfectly made hot tea at any moment. You can you can save so many avalanche victims. It's great. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking anything else, anything else. Um, actually, I'm through with my list. I didn't make a list. <laughs> no, I think we touched on most of the important things. Um, tapestry time. In that case, it's tapestry time. And now we have a jingle from you. So that's perfect. <laughs> I will make an animation. <laughs> um, yes, it is indeed tapestry time. And I think there are a fair few things that carry through this episode, some of them more successful than others. You already mentioned Garibaldi's alcoholism is addressed, but maybe not in the most satisfying way. We definitely have, I would count Walker Smith as carrying on with the Earth situation that's happening there. Like, looking at this guy, I'm not wondering anymore how Earth-first nationalists got a foothold on this planet, because I... Please go ahead. I mean, I've, I've touched, we've touched on that, but I'm tired, so I probably, I don't know. Okay, I, I mean now. You can hate me for what I say, probably. And, um, but I feel like here we, you, you, you mentioned that, Mike, we have this myth of sports can bring people together. Sports is for communication and whatever. And here we have a sports person who tries to make contact to an alien tradition and we feel like there was a kind of a magical moment. There was mutual respect. But I also feel like we see maybe where sports, a message could be where, where a, that a sports event kind of really has its boundaries because it's not like a communication on a level of like science or arts or literature or you can come up with anything else because it's kind of still sports. So the deeper understanding is still missing. That's harsh. It's harsh. <laughs> I will echo it, but it's harsh. It was just, it's just, it's so frustrating because I can't, now that I have been rethinking that, I mean, I was already silent in the first part of the discussion, but now that I have been rethinking that, it's like, you see how he, he takes over this gesture and everything, and there's always this idea of, we have this moment that connects us, we wrote history together, but it is unsatisfying. <laughs> yeah, it's very unsatisfying. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the it's there where we, back at the point of why is he doing this and he is doing this to become to get great again <laughs> yes okay but he also and didn't get any 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 personal development that was satisfying i mean yeah. 
for me, there's always this tension. Of course, when we talk about his interaction with the Mutador, there is this topic of, do we count this as cultural appropriation, right? Because he's trying to take this practice of alien culture and just integrate it into his sports career. It's very easy to say that this is the case, although there are many good reasons to hate that term because it can also be used for complete garbage it takes. And there is definitely a point to be made that, you know, boxing and sports are culture, are part of culture. This is why Garibaldi can take him to a sports bar where there's a big mural of boxing on the wall. And I think that is legitimately a thing that it is legitimately part of culture. Soccer is a huge part of German culture. And in this episode, for me, a lot of personal tension comes from the fact I don't care about it, though. I don't give a crap about his sports career because I have absolutely no connection to this part of culture. But then, of course, if I would be trying to be objective in any way, I should take a step back and recognize, yeah, but that doesn't make one culture more valid than the other just because I think one is very vapid and the other one isn't. Like, I myself, I'm very biased towards the Mutari because for me that's interesting to look at and boxing is not but in reality both of them are valid parts of a culture so it would be interesting to <laughs> it would be interesting to have this kind of discussion is one kind of culture more effective at facilitating communication than the other is a dialogue on science or arts more worthwhile than one on the level of sports and i think there's legitimately different opinions to have on that yes um, but maybe because we are here at the tapestry and because I don't want to lash out on sports anymore because that's just me. You, we should abolish the <laughs> Olympic Games. They are garbage. Yes, they... but I mean, okay, you, you mentioned the Olympics. Oh, the, no. the most frustrating thing is that in 19, what was it, 36? We, we had uh, 37, I don't know, we had the Olympics in Nazi Germany. And it fixed everything. I don't know what you're talking about. We really learned something back then. Yes, international community was so aware of the shit that was happening because we were all looking at us. Yeah, it's frustrating because it definitely, I mean, yeah. We, we, we see the boundaries of making contact there. So we have made contact, but it is still frustrating. Maybe that's something to keep in mind for the tapestry. Here we see a human completely in the mindset on Earth that has now and then shown up on the station and has worried us. We see a human... With that showing up and trying to make, uh, uh, he writes history. He tries to make new contact, and it still kind of has this frustrating touch of, 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 of boundaries still being there and of misunderstanding still being active. I think that's maybe the point to take out of it. I think the crucial point there is just how he enters the first time this area, because this, this, I want to talk to this Butai Dog guy. It's like arrogantly calling for, it feels like calling for, for a waiter or something. He would then, like to speak to the manager of this establishment. Yes, yes, exactly. That's how it feels. And I think that is the major problem there because it's, he's not go. I mean, it's, it's okay that he's going there because he wants to push his career back. But the problem is how he's doing this. Mm. Yeah. And I think as a microcosm this works really well because it kind of gives us this idea what Babylon 5 is trying to do, creating a place for aliens and humans to interact with one another, 
that is very good, that is necessary to achieve the peace that Babylon 5 wants, but it's not necessarily enough. If you have people that come into this kind of multicultural interaction with the wrong attitude, putting them in the same room for a very long time isn't necessarily going to fix them. Teaching them how you behave respectfully doesn't inherently generate this uh, this respect. So, but also, I mean, what also was what Babylon 5 can show us later on, probably more, is that just looking them up in one room and having them make significant experiences together is the best way to achieve communication, to achieve understanding. But I think having one weekend there where you enter a sports tournament and then you go home and be celebrated as a hero is probably just not enough. Like, it probably takes years and long, long, a long, long time to really have so many common experiences that you would talk about uh, common ground. I mean, if we summarize that, it's this idea. Walker Smith comes on the station and says, I will make history. And his idea of making history is doing one special event that is historically notable. Sure, first human to win the Mutador. But that in and of itself doesn't really make history in the sense of changing things significantly. But that's maybe the frustrating part, because in a way it does. Because now that humans are welcomed in the Mutai... It's Mutai. Yes, Mutai. Yeah, when humans, now that humans are welcomed there, you can imagine more and more human fighters, boxers, sports, people, whatever, entering and um, having a career in there or having success in there and making more contact to aliens and looking back to this person that we really hate, that is really totally unlikable to us and being like, thanks to him, we have this experience. Thanks to him, we are allowed in here. Thanks to him, I have all of these alien friends now. And he's just a person who completely doesn't have that in view in mind and all. That's maybe the frustrating part. We will celebrate him as someone who opened the way and he himself had no deeper understanding of what that actually meant. Once again, something that is very much reflected in Star Trek when we have the movie First Contact and it turns out the guy that invented warp travel did so because he wanted to make some quick money and had no intention of building anything bigger than that. Yeah. It's this kind of demystifying of historical heroes, which I like. It's, it's a fun thing to do. Yeah, but I mean, in Star Trek, it has a lot of other philosoph philosophical baggage. <laughs> it does. It definitely does. He's great. He's great. I mean, people continue to celebrate them even after they learn the truth about him as well. So it's, they can cope with that. It's fine. Yeah. But okay, I think we've revisited Walker Smith a little bit here. Um, so the the only lasting episode, will we hear from him again? Will Garibaldi read a big newspaper about him becoming the champion of, of Andromeda or something like that? I doubt it. I, I, he's not important enough to make any wave uh, big enough to reappear. That's that's a fair assessment. I would expect him to to have a major role again as well. Um, okay. Uh, beyond that, though, are there any threats of this episode that you feel we will see picked up again? Much more interesting, for example, will we see the rabbi again? Will uh, this power of the family or maybe just the Jewish faith be a major role for Ivanova in the future? I think um, maybe I mean there, but I think this will be like uh, Garibaldi's alcoholism, just something that if reappearing be just a side note. Mm. 
Okay. Though I would really like to see the actor of the rabbi again because I really <laughs> like this guy. Yes, he is very good. I think this is just interesting because it, we can tell that you're very much still in the mindset of this is season one, this is a 90s show. Things have a way of being kind of one-off and then recurring only as side notes, which is completely valid. So far, your predictions have proven true. Who knows if it maybe will change in the future? could also imagine is that maybe Garibaldi's alcoholism is just pictured this way because he takes it lightly and he takes it lightly and he takes it lightly and at some point we see that that backfires. That would be good writing, but who knows? Um, possible. But I, a question that I can um, put up here because we can leave that open for a while is that we have seen that a student's past of being Russian and being Jewish is nothing that she has ever had problems with, mm. only because of. So I think that that's something that is in action now because it's it's logical to have it there in this plot, but it's nothing that has really given her a conflict, I guess. So other parts of her past are in the kind of setting that we live in much more complicated, and maybe it's still interesting to keep in mind that she has this this telepath background, this background of conflict with the psychor, and we it, it comes up now and then, so I would think that is something that we probably always have to watch out for. So I really like the differentiation that she has her personal problems and not problems of who she is. That is true. Yeah. The other thing connected with her family that I think we will definitely see more about is we once again got a really nice insight of how the Mimbari war impacted families, right? Because here you have somebody who said, we shouldn't go to space, we should have peace on our world, and then the Mimbari conflict happens and he very clearly adopts a stance against Earth Force. And honestly, who can blame the guy, especially with what we've seen of Earth Force up to this point? There are some pretty good reasons to be skeptical of them. So we we get to see like a portion of human population that isn't going to be keen on Babylon 5 being a thing for reasons that are very understandable, that aren't the outright are Earth first and we want to dominate the galaxy, that are much more even, you know, with, with a moniker on we want peace. And that also means we want to be isolationistic a little bit and uh, seeing that as a perspective uh, as something that was close to one of our main characters is interesting because I can imagine that also for Ivanova now that she's kind of reconciled with the memory of her father maybe this will cause her to see some things that are happening in Earth Force a little bit more skeptically okay I think with this we've talked about the episode fairly exhaustively uh, we already kind of decided on our uh, outro question, right? Yes, our outro question. I think we can put out two this week, can't we? Sure. We will have the big question of, uh, why do we want to make it a poll? Why do you think our... No, we don't want to have that. We want to have our, yeah. our responses. Um, first of all, we would like to know your opinion on religious representation in Babylon 5, maybe so far, maybe in general. How does that work for you? Do you think the show in general does a good job there? And then we would also, if you if you know something or if you have an opinion on it, what do you think of the um, how, how uh, the sitting Shiva for us Ivanova is depicted here? Uh, do you think that is that is done nicely? Do you think um, 
it's done realistically. Do you know anything about it? Do you want to share your thoughts on that with that? Those are the two questions that we will put out. Uh, one poll that we did last week, um, apart from our main uh, outro questions we can talk about uh, at a later time, is we asked, um, which is people's favorite namesake episode for the seasons? Because each season has one episode that the entire season is named after we watched our Science and Portents last week. And to my big surprise, Science of Portents, out of all five seasons, was the least favorite of all the episodes that, that people had. People say of these episodes, which are in generally considered to be very important milestones in the show, this was the least important, the least favorite. And we only got uh, quite a bit out of that. So this makes me very excited for future seasons because it seems like we have all the good stuff of the show still ahead. That's just something that I wanted to throw in here. Uh, there, uh, for example, on Twitter, where you can find us at the um, under the handle Third Age Podcast, or X, I would have to say at this point. Uh, we are also on Instagram and on Facebook, where we have our own group, uh, everything under Third Age Podcast, of course. You can also listen to us anywhere where you can find podcasts, but of course here on YouTube you're the cutest because here you can see us. Thank you for listening in today and until next time. Bye.